You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Angie, and today I have a really exciting interview. We're going to be talking all about chimpanzees, which of course is our closest relative, and we'll be talking today about Save the Chimps, which is an incredible nonprofit foundation that works on rehabilitating and giving homes to chimpanzees throughout the United States. And I'm really excited today to be talking with Dr. Andrew Halloran. He is the director of the Chimpanzee Behavior and Care at Save the Chimps. And Dr. Halloran specializes in behavior, which is one of my favorites, of course, and ecology of primates. He spent 20 years in primate care and the promotion of their overall welfare and well-being. He's been with Save the Chimps since 2016, and in 2012, Dr. Halloran published a book called The Song of the Ape, Understanding the Language of Chimpanzees. So today, he's going to give us a lot of insight, not only about chimpanzees, but also about the amazing nonprofit Save the Chimps. So welcome, Dr. Halloran. Nice to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. And uh, and our our audience should know uh, Dr. Halloran and Save the Chimps is located in Florida, so we're, we're, we're neighbors for the most part, separated by about three hours or so. And uh, I, it's definitely on my bucket list to come down there and see your amazing facility. I've heard great things about it from my husband and a lot of his students at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. So this is a long overdue interview, and I'm just so excited to talk to you today. Great. Nice, nice being here. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Before we get started, would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of your background? Um, did you always have interest in animals, natures, and great apes? Sure. I mean, growing up, I, um, you know, animals was um, was my biggest interest. There's a lot of you know, a lot of kids have interest in animals. Um, my the animals that I was most interested in growing up were were like whales and dolphins. I, I grew up in Florida and. Um, Whales always fascinated me, um, and 
always kind of read up on whales and things like that. And uh, that kind of spilled over into being interested in great apes, very interested in gorillas, and, and of course, chimpanzees. Really kind of came to a head for me when, um, when I was growing up, I moved from Florida to Atlanta, Georgia. And the zoo in Atlanta, when I moved there, was was going uh, it was going through bad times. They uh, it was it was decaying, and uh, it was actually rated as as I think if, if not the worst zoo in the country, one of the worst zoos in the country. And, oh no! Uh, yeah, so um, they had a gorilla there who was kind of a local celebrity. His name was Willie B, and uh, he he was uh, very popular around uh, Atlanta. He was even nationally known. He was on a show called That's Incredible, which is, is really dating me, but he, uh, the zoo went through this renaissance while I lived there, um, and uh, they uh, changed everything. They, um, and they gave Willie B this, uh, this rainforest habitat and gave him all sorts of companions. And so as a teenager watching um, Willie B acclimate to this new habitat was, um, you know, not just heartwarming to see this chimp or this gorilla that had been in, in a pretty nasty uh, environment for so long, kind of explore this outdoor area and, uh, you know, have friends for the first time. And uh, he, he uh, had a bunch of offspring and that really uh, solidified an interest in, in great apes. And, um, you know, Gorillas are, you know, is, is, is a great gateway drug to, to chimpanzees. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, once, once I started um, really delving into chimpanzees, I, I haven't turned back since. I know. Yeah, it's, I always say this on the podcast. I definitely, it's a regret of mine not working with great apes. I got to be a zookeeper for about seven years and I love animals with hooves and horns and I yeah. take care of birds and and small primates and uh, uh, reptiles, but yeah, I never made my way to great apes, and to this day, I'm kind of kicking myself. So maybe in my next life or later on, because it is uh, the times I'd go over there and visit, and all the just the behavioral research they were doing uh, at the Lincoln Park Zoo, it was just incredible. And uh, and now that I actually am studying more about the behavior and talking with experts like yourselves. Yeah, I'm really kicking myself that I, I didn't, uh, I never had that gateway drug, darn it. Well, it's it's never too late to start, so, yeah. That's true, exactly. No, this podcast has definitely opened up my eyes, for sure. And so, besides Willie, do you have a, another favorite great ape or animal interaction story that you, that really got you going? Yeah, so, um, I started off working as, um, well, I, I first started off at, at Zoo Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. but then um, became a, a zookeeper and uh, went to a place called Lion Country Safari, where I worked with a whole lot of chimps there. And the thing that that's so fascinating when you work with chimps every day is how how you really stop thinking about them as a different species, um, and um, and you know, while at the same time you you know avoiding it morphism and, and all of that but you know you, you start to understand them as, as individuals and seeing their different personalities and their different quirks and 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 watching them uh is is really you know something that that's fascinating when you work with them 
Uh, there was a chimp uh, lion country, a, a big guy named um, Ozzy, and Ozzy was, uh, he, one, he looked like a gorilla. He's a big round guy. And the chimps, if, if you've never been to Lion Country Safari, uh, the chimps live out on islands and uh, the islands are connected by this kind of drawbridge system. And um, each day you, there's there's an empty island, you, you go set it up and then you extend the bridge and the chimps go, go across the bridge and, um, and, and find food and, and all of that. We had it was Halloween, so we'd thrown um, pumpkins all around the island. And uh, for Halloween, we had actually taken the tops off and uh, filled the, the pumpkins with with all sorts of treats and uh, and put the tops back on. And the chimps didn't know that we had done that, um, and so we we extended the bridge, and uh, you know they walked right by the pumpkins, and the pumpkins was kind of a big squash, uh, and and went to to the um, to the area where, where, where the good food was. Uh, Ozzy, though, had, uh, he was going to, you know, I, I guess pick up a pumpkin and just chuck it across the, the island, as, you know, chimps will do. And so he, he picked up the pumpkin by the top, and, and when he did it, the, the pumpkin, you know, the top came off, and, and the, the pumpkin was, was down on the ground. He, he looked inside the pumpkin and saw that there was uh, all sorts of treats inside the pumpkin. Uh, he looked over at, at the rest of his group. They hadn't seen what happened. They were happily eating. And Ozzy very quietly put the lid back on the pumpkin and went around and gathered every pumpkin on the island and, and sat at the back of the island and, and ate you know, way too many treats for a French <laughs> and fancy and, uh, and ate it silently. So, um, so it, and at the same time, I was... Um, I was in grad school and we were talking about um, a notion called theory of mind that, um, you know, there's a, you know, it's only humans that have theory of mind. Uh, we're the only ones that understand that, um, that we possess knowledge that, that other individuals don't. And, and this happened like literally the day of that lecture. And, um, and I'm saying, you know, Ozzy clearly knew that they didn't know that, that there was, was treats in, in the pumpkin. And so, you know, things like that, you know, those things happen every single day that you work with chimps and just these really interesting things where, where you're thinking, well, God, what, what else is going on in, in their head? And, um, you know, what's going on in their head that is, is, it's like how we think and what's going on in their head that, that isn't like how we think. And, um, that really uh, made me want to study them more and more. Yeah, what a great story. That actually sounds like me with my kid's bag of Halloween candy. <laughs> Hi hiding, like not letting them hear the rapper sound. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eating it all for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And now we know that chimpanzees are currently endangered in the wild. And can you explain to our audience, besides you know, the fact that they are incredibly intelligent and all of that, why should the average person want to conserve them and learn more about chimpanzees? Yeah, I mean, well, one, chimpanzees are our closest relative. Um, you know, genetically, on an evolutionary scale, we're, we're very, we're, we're cousins, if you will. And so seeing our closest living relatives go through the ecological imperilment that, that they go through, it should concern everyone. It, one, uh, 
chimpanzees are, are an incredibly resilient species uh, in, in, in that they're very human-like. They're super adaptable. So if chimpanzees are having ecological impairment, it's, it's very connected to what our own species is going through. So, you know, chimps, I, you know, a lot of people don't, um, you know, maybe have a misconception of why chimps are so ecologically imperiled. And, uh, you know, they think, well, it's, it's, you know, you hear a lot about poaching and things like that. And, you know, and, and that does happen. Uh, but the thing that, that's, that's really plaguing chimpanzees is that the habitats are disappearing at an exponential rate. And that should scare everyone, whether you're interested in chimpanzees or not. The, um, I do a, I do conservation work in, in Sierra Leone and I, you know, in the, you know, decade that I've been doing that, just it's visibly less when you're going around the, um, the amount of habitat that's lost. And that's not because local Sierra Leoneans are using more land. That's because the entire rest of the world is using the land in, in that area, and, and especially in places like West Africa and in places like these very poor countries. Um, you know, that land is used for anything from you know, ethanol, uh, what we put in our gas tanks, to diamond mining, to, to all sorts of things. And, and the ones who pay the price for that uh, on the surface are chimpanzees, uh, because that's their habitat, in addition to to the other animals uh, that live there. And um, but it's interesting to think about chimpanzees in terms of their resilience. Um, you know, 50 years ago in Sierra Leone, there were big cats, there were elephants. 25 years ago, there were no more big cats, but there were still elephants. Today, there's no elephants and there's just chimpanzees. Uh, so they're the last holdout. And the only reason they're the last holdout is because of that resilience, because of the adaptability to these things. And so when you get down to that level, everyone, every single person should be concerned because that's a bellwether to the health of our entire planet. And, um, and so that's why everyone should be concerned with how, how chimpanzees are doing. And, um, and everyone should, you know, should really strive to educate themselves as to what practices do we do, whether, you know, we're sitting in, in Florida or, you know, anywhere in the U.S. or, in the, you know, in Europe or uh, wherever, what, what are we doing that's having an effect on species in, you know, these remote places we may never go to, small little places in West Africa, and how does that affect the entire health of the planet? And, um, and, and, you know, the, the, the more you turn the page in that book, it, it gets scarier and scarier. So that's why everyone should be concerned. No, that's an excellent answer. And I definitely agree that if we are able to save chimpanzees and we can save ourselves because we're so interconnected, as you mentioned. And, and a lot of us are lucky enough to live near like an accredited zoo or a place where we've been able to have an interaction with a chimpanzee or a great ape. But a lot of public might not be familiar with the history of chimpanzees in the United States in regards to them being used in research, uh, private ownership, and then also with, within the private ownership, the use in entertainment. So I wondered if you could touch on and help educate us a little bit about those three topics. 
are our chimpanzees currently used in research or have most of them been retired as sanctuaries? Where does that stand? Uh, so chimpanzees are no longer being used in research, uh, which, which is a, a, a really good thing. Um, it's, um, they are, however, still sitting in uh, laboratories, and um, you know, there's currently a, a debate for some of those uh, chimps whether it is better to move them to sanctuaries or better to let them age in place where they are. Um, and you know, there's 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 people on both sides with with very powerful arguments on that. Um, I obviously think that chimpanzees would. Be better served if it's safe to move them at a place like Save the Chimps or some of the other sanctuaries where they have the opportunity to live in large social groups. Um, at Save the Chimps, they live out uh, in large spaces. Um, we have islands that are upwards of five acres uh, where they, you know, we try and give them things like freedom of choice. Uh, they can sleep where they want to sleep. They can out with who they want to hang out with and um and all of that so you know that's that's kind of the current state uh there's a lot of chimpanzees in need right now and um and the the other thing that that people should consider is is it's great news for chimpanzees that they're not being used in research uh however if you're um other types of primates if if you're a rhesus macaque the, the news isn't so good because um you're being used quite a bit so you know, it's the issue is is still out there, and um, and it, people that are concerned about the welfare of very sentient creatures should you know that look not just at chimpanzees, but but the other animals that that are being used um, for human benefit um, in a way that that we might not um, we we might have have trouble with with their state of welfare right now. You know, chimpanzees are, the big thing about chimpanzees that, that they're so human-like is, uh, has, has been, you know, from a welfare standpoint, kind of the worst thing for them. And, you know, people might wonder, okay, well, why, why do you always talk about avoiding anthropomorphism and, and things like that? Um, anthropomorphism being viewing chimpanzees only in human terms and, and only really comparing chimpanzees to humans. Well, one, scientifically, uh, it's, you know, chimpanzees are so much more than little almost humans. Uh, They are a species in their own right. They have amazing, amazing things about them that have nothing to do with with a comparison uh, to humans uh, that's just scientifically fascinating. From a welfare standpoint, though, is that that treatment of chimpanzees as little almost humans has led to huge welfare issues with chimpanzees. It, it led to chimpanzees being you know, captured, um, going back hundreds of years and exhibited in in the Western world. It's led to pretty pretty rough conditions as far as uh, invasive research goes. It's led to some pretty rough ways of exhibiting chimpanzees uh, for the entertainment of people and uh, obviously the pet trade. And so when I see chimps kind of portrayed as as little almost humans, it really, um, I, I don't view that well. And um, and I think that's that's something that uh, chimpanzees have to, to work to overcome. I think that um, 
uh, it, it happens in, in all angles. And in, in everyone's defense, it's really hard to, to not anthropomorphize a chimpanzee because they are so human-like. But, um, but uh, again, it's, it's done quite a bit to, to, to their detriment. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like, oh, how, how wonderful. I can just put this chimpanzee in overalls and laugh at it and it, it acts like a human. It seems like a human. And I know from my own, uh, from my own background, before I ever was in the zoo industry or was educated enough to know any better, I would have thought that was cute and funny as well. Uh, but throughout my tenure working at the zoo and working at Lincoln Park Zoo, the primate department there uh, was really involved with trying to reduce the use of chimpanzees for entertainment purposes. Because as I learned, and maybe you can help share with our listeners, that it's cute and fun while it lasts, theoretically, but it doesn't last long. Their, their stardom and commercials, whether it's a Super Bowl commercial or whatever it is, uh, it's a short-lived stardom career. and then then they're often just rejected to the side. So could you maybe touch on that a little bit and and help educate our listeners about why it's not so cute and funny when we see them in commercials or on cards or any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, chimps are, are extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, it's, um, you know, whereas you, you might be able to have a, uh, a, a very young chimpanzee in a commercial or in movies, you, you can't have... Um, even an adolescent, uh, especially not an adult chimpanzee, in the same type of entertainment situation. And that's true of pet chimpanzees, that's true of entertainment chimpanzees. And what ultimately happens is that once these chimps become of age, they end up languishing in a a holding area. Um, And the ones that are not lucky enough to find themselves, uh, find their ways to, to sanctuaries, uh, are stuck in, in really bad circumstances, usually alone, um, which is uh, a state that's really, really terrible for a chimpanzee. Um, and, um, and so, you know, there's, there's a million reasons not to uh, support chimpanzees in entertainment. There's also a million reasons not to support chimpanzees as pets. Uh, uh, but, but the main one is that uh, once the chimpanzee gets too old, um, they are too dangerous to have as a pet. They're too dangerous to work with on a movie set. And so if you care about that chimpanzee, that chimp is doomed at a certain age to live a life of isolation, to live a life where movement is hugely restricted. And um, and that's that's a big problem. So even I mean, you can even take um, very high-profile um, chimpanzees um, from you know very wealthy people. Um, Michael Jackson had a chimpanzee uh, named Bubbles, and even Michael Jackson, with all his resources and, and ability, couldn't continue having that chimpanzee. Uh, luckily, that that chimp uh, now lives in a, in a really great sanctuary uh, called Center for Great Apes. But, um, but you know, a lot of chimps are, are not so lucky and end up uh, languishing in, in places that are, are really nasty. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one of the many reasons not to have them. And, and this history goes back a long way. Back in the early part of the century, 
scientists, psychologists, uh, were really interested in how chimpanzees could do in a human home um, with this idea that chimpanzees are so intelligent, they're so much like us. Uh, if you raised a chimpanzee in a human home, would they basically become little humans? And um, there's a very famous uh, study of this where um, it's a chimpanzee named Gua, and uh, Gua uh, was at um, uh, 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 Robert Yerkes, who was a very famous psychologist um, back in the early part of the century. Uh, sent this baby chimpanzee to um, to a, a guy named Wayne Kellogg who lived in Indiana. Kellogg had just had a uh, a, a new baby, and um, and the idea was, could you raise Gua alongside this new baby, Donald? And um, and they did everything just like Donald. And Gua ate from a high chair. They, they would put. Uh, they put her to bed and you know, say prayers, brush her teeth, and everything like like you would with uh, raising a child, and um, to see well, you know, maybe Gua will learn to talk, maybe Gua will learn to to be just like a human. Well, the opposite actually happened. Donald actually acted more like a chimp than than Gua acted like a <laughs> oh human. Oh my goodness! And, oh, wow, there's um, a twist. Yeah, and and after after a short period of time, Donald's mother. Uh, said, you know, Gua has to go. And so they sent Gua back to Yerkes, um, uh place, which is in Orange Park, Florida at the time. And unfortunately, Gua died several months later alone in a cage. And so that's that's the end result of that welfare issue. And, and you see that played out with, um, with a lot of chimpanzees who were used as pets, a lot of chimpanzees who were used in entertainment because you know, they grow up with this socialization, they grow up with, you know, parental care, even though it's human parental care, and that's something that's very necessary for a chimpanzee. And then all of a sudden, they're isolated and abandoned, and uh, and, and horrible things happen at that point. So, um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of good sound reasons not to support live chimpanzees in entertainment and uh, chimpanzees being used as pets. Yeah, I think it was really helpful for me explaining to family and friends uh, when I learned about this years and years ago, was just when you do see them on a commercial, if you do, or on a birthday card or whatever it is, you just have to note to, your, note to yourself, like that is a, younger than a teenager. Like that is a young chimpanzee. That is not an adult chimpanzee. You cannot do those types of things with an adult chimpanzee because, well, it would be very, 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 very unsafe. And so... For me, that was helpful, and hopefully for our listeners, that's kind of a maybe a way, and maybe for our listeners, that's a way that they can help explain it to some of their friends and family as well. It's just, it's not a good idea, and thank goodness for several of these sanctuaries here in the United States to take in some of these uh, chimpanzees that are just left behind, unfortunately, and so I want to shift gears now and focus on Save the Chips, uh, and I was wondering... I know they have a, a nice long history, so if you could give us a brief little description about how the Save the Chimps was founded and a little bit about their background. Sure. So um, back in the uh, late 90s, our founder, uh, a woman named Dr. Carol Noon, uh, sued the Air Force for the chimps that they were currently, still currently being housed at, uh, at Holloman Air Force Base, and she won that suit. And that led to the creation of the sanctuary, 
and the idea being that the chimpanzees could live outside on these island habitats. And um, you know, the island habitats are good because they, they lend themselves to a lot of space. Um, so there's a, a water barrier and um, the chimps can't swim. And that allows uh, for the chimps to not live by mesh and uh, have this lots and lots of space as, uh, you know, as, as they're going about their day. So the first group came and it was, you know, wildly successful. And a few years later, the Colston Foundation in New Mexico, they were a, um, a kind of laboratory uh, holding facility. Uh, a lot of the chimps would get kind of farmed out to other labs. And they actually had the most animal welfare violations of, of any other place. They had fallen under um, some pretty hard financial times and basically Save the Chimps got, got ownership of that place. And so the first thing uh, that they did was they enabled some introductions so that the chimps would, uh, would get to know each other. They changed the way, uh, the structure at Colston so that the chimps would be able to see the sky, it would be a more open area. And then finally, over a very long period of time, the chimps were moved. They were able to uh, move the chimps to Florida, a very painstaking uh, process where the chimps uh, went in, uh, in the back of uh, this, this retrofitted RV trailer uh, where the chimps got, uh, they all had a window seat. They were all able to look outside on this very long journey. And, um, and slowly but surely, well, this place was being built and, and uh, 12 islands were being dug. Uh, each island has a, uh, a house attached to it where the chimps have, can sleep inside. And they were slowly brought here. And um, in that process, the groups were, were created and formed. And, uh, and, and here we are today. That's incredible. And with Save the Chimps, I know you have a mission of lifelong care. So can you expand on that a little bit more, what, what the goals are of your organization? Yeah, so um, as, uh, as, as anyone that, that cares for chimpanzees can, can attest to, chimpanzee care is, is, is a science. Um, they're, not, um, they're not an easy species to take care of because they are so intelligent, they are so strong, they are so resilient, all of those things. And they have very, very specific needs that uh, that really have to be met. And some of those needs are, um, well, in my mind, especially, is is the ability for freedom of choice, the ability to make choices, the ability to have um, some possession of your own destiny. Um, and that's something that uh, is is not easy to do when you're in a captive environment. So um, so there's a real science in determining okay how can we provide you know freedom of choice, being you know in charge of your own destiny to a group of chimpanzees that are ultimately still captive. And so you know we actually have kind of these stated care goals that we have. Like what is our definition of of chimpanzee well-being? What is our definition of providing that lifelong sanctuary and care 
that's a, a good thing for these chimpanzees. And um, those are things like, you know, we want to provide a rich social environment. We want to provide an enriching environment. We don't want a place where chimpanzees can get bored. And that's not a small feat uh, for an animal like chimpanzees that are so intelligent and that require a lot of stimulation. You know, at the same time, we also have to come with it from the recognition that chimpanzees are individuals and they all have unique histories and unique individual histories and that's going to carry with it its own set of challenges for each individual and especially chimps that have come from situations like the chimps that live here have is that we really strive for individualized care so you know we we do a lot where um you know, we work the, the curators and, and the care technicians and, and myself, we do we do a lot of observations on the chimpanzees to see what is the state of their welfare. We come up with individualized care plans for the chimps that, that really need it. And providing individualized care to you know, 238 chimpanzees is, is is a lot and it's a it's a big lift and but that's what we owe to these chimpanzees that are in our charge and so you know we that's when we say we're providing lifelong care lifelong sanctuary you know the the words in between that sentence are that we need to provide care that chimpanzees need for their well-being to allow them to thrive and um you know it's it's not as easy as just saying, hey, here's an island, here's a lot of space, uh, go run around and be happy. Uh, it's, it's not that easy. Uh, these chimpanzees, you know, uh, have needs that need to be met, and, uh, and that's the way we can provide the care that, that we state in our mission. So yes, Dr. Halloran, I think you bring up a really, really important point that I'd like to stress, is that... I think people will often think, oh, well, we'll just let the lab animals go or, oh, we'll put them back in the wild or we'll just move everything to a sanctuary and it'll be hunky-dory. And the truth is that for a lot of animals moved into a sanctuary type setting, uh, more than some animals, of course, are released in the wild after uh, proper uh, science has been done to see if that works and things like that. Uh, It does work. But I'm sure, like you said, there's, what, 238 chimpanzees under your care. It's not always that easy to take an animal that's lived a solitary life and not so great circumstances and then and then you put the chimpanzee on an island with friends and off they go and it's just a happy happy after type ending, a happily ever after. So do you have a, a story that you can maybe relate to our listeners uh, about a chimpanzee currently under your care? that uh, maybe had a background story that's tough and or that their transition is still ongoing or wasn't as smooth as you would like? Sure. Um, a chimpanzee that, um, that I like to talk about quite a bit is, uh, is a, a chimpanzee named Allie. And Allie had been a pet chimpanzee. And Allie didn't come from... A, a bad home, uh, so to speak. I mean, the, the people that took care of Allie were very loving people. They are very loving people. They really, you know, loved Allie, wanted the best for this chimp, tried to provide everything that um, that you could provide a, a chimpanzee. And, uh, but 
uh, it's really, really hard to meet the needs of a chimpanzee. And again, they get big and all of that. Um, so Allie came to us, you know, with this background where, you know, Allie hadn't been abused. Allie, you know, there, there hadn't been, you know, kind of, you know, the classic things that, that we talk about, you know, with, with, um, with a lot of, of sanctuary chimps. However, Allie didn't really know how to be a chimp and didn't really even recognize herself as a chimpanzee. Um, Allie was definitely more comfortable with us than she was other chimpanzees. You know, Allie arrived in the, the middle of the night and, um, and you know, when she came in, uh, we sat together and I was showing her um, different music videos on my phone. And, and so she was um, interested in that. And so integrating Allie into a social group has been something that, that has been a, a long process and, and, and a, a scientific process where, uh, one, we needed to match the personalities. Allie began the process of integrating into a group several years ago, two and a half years ago. That's how long that process takes because not just because, you know, the chimps are going to, you know, inter, you know, be introduced and they're going to tear each other up. It's, it's not even that simple. Uh, we have to take into consideration Allie's uh, well-being, her, her psychological well-being, how stressful that is for her. And through a, a, a slow process of matching personalities and, uh, and, and doing this carefully, uh, Ali has now been, um, you know, is now a big part of this group, and and she, you know, fits all the indicators of thriving in this group. And there was a lot of work behind that. And so, if we had just taken Ali and said, "Here's your group, here's your island," um, that would have been, well, we we wouldn't have. Um, fulfilled our commitment to this chimpanzee. Uh, it would have been, even if everything had gone uh, well and there you know, hadn't been big aggressive acts, which there would have been, you know, the stress that that would have done to her um, would have been, been huge. So, so you know, that, that's an example of that. But um, I think it's important to clarify, you know, when people you know, wonder why, you know, if, well, chimpanzees that have been in sanctuaries, can they go back to the wild? Or let's say there's, you know, the, most most animals that, that are in, um, you know, some negative circumstances, can they just be, be you know, right. set free? Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, it's not that easy. In, in the case of chimpanzees, one, there's habitat loss, so there's not a place to really put them, um, to release them. And two, where there is habitats, there's other chimp groups that usually occupy that habitat. And so re-releasing chimpanzees is, is not something that you can really do. And even the sanctuaries in, in Africa, which deal with chimpanzees that have been captured from the wild and taken as pets, they they can't be returned to the wild. So So that's something that people need to realize that you know, when you're looking at freedom or, um, you know, or, or rescue or uh, rehabilitation for chimpanzees that have been in situations like that, it's, it's not about returning them to, you know, a, a big forest in West Africa. 
it's about supporting sanctuaries where they can achieve the things that we try to achieve here, the, the freedom of choice and the social environment and all of those things to give them the best possible life they can be given uh, within the, the, you know, with the, the variables that we're dealt with that, you know, captivity is something that, that is, is, you know, is, is going to be, uh, but can we make it to where we give them um, the, the best possible life in that situation that we can? Yes, no, I agree. And thank you for that. And now, Dr. Holleran, we've touched on it a little bit, but could you describe Save the Chimps, uh, the acreage, the islands, how it's set up and how the chimpanzees that are on the islands, how do they spend their day? There's 12 islands. Uh, these islands are, are very large. They, uh, our largest island is, is, uh, is almost five acres long five acres large, um, and um, they're connected by land bridge to a house. Each island has its own house. The house has um, six different rooms in it. And what we strive for is that the chimps have the choice to be inside or outside. And, you know, we don't, we don't force them to do either one. Um, unlike a, a zoo, we, we don't need them to be outside. Uh, to be exhibited or anything like that. So if they want to be inside, they can be inside. And, and many of the chimps, just given their past, are definitely more comfortable staying inside. Uh, but they always have that option. We feed them, though, only inside. And the reason we do that is so that we can check them, so that we see them three times a day. They get three meals a day uh, where they come in. Uh, staff can get a good up-close look at them. Um, Everyone is fed individually, and um, and then you know they can do what, what they what they please. Um, each day, staff um, it just like like you would at, at a zoo, um, clean the indoor holding uh, facility and um, clean the island habitats, so that they're always getting a clean environment. Uh, the other thing that they get um, several times a day is in, enrichment, and um, for anyone that's not familiar with enrichment. It's, um, it's something to stimulate the chimpanzees mentally. Um, so it might be uh, something as simple as kind of a puzzle board where chimpanzees have to you know, manipulate a puzzle in order to get a treat out of it. We also have um, artificial termite mounds on the island. Um, we can fill these termite mounds with, um, with good stuff inside, uh, like oatmeal and things like that. And the chimps actually use sticks to, to stick it in the termite holes and, and get it out. You know, it might be something for the for the guys that like to stay inside. So, you know, we'll, we'll do something like throw a movie on. Um, and, uh, you know, so, um, you know, part of that enrichment is, uh, is, is any sort of sensory stimulation. Um, you know, we try not to rely on just food stimulation for that. Uh, we want them to, uh, we want enrichment to promote um, movement as, as well as mental stimulation. So we try to and do that as much as possible. And, and during the day, as staff are there, we also are able to observe them uh, both on the islands and inside. And we can get an assessment on uh, the current state of well-being uh, that way. That's awesome. And that kind of leads to my next question. As far as behavior observations, I've been lucky enough to take observations on several different species and several different uh, under human care in the wild, et cetera. And I was wondering, do you have uh, behavioralists or researchers that come in 
to do observations on your chimpanzees? Uh, we don't. Um, that's something that uh, we've had in the past um, where outside people have, have observed the chimps. We, um, you know, we do that in-house. Um, we actually have a, we call it uh, care and welfare assessments, and we have a set of indicators, and staff do these each day. Um, and um, so, and we don't do all the chimps at once. We do sure. like 20 chimps for a 60-day period, and then we roll over to the next 20 chimps. And at the end of that period, we create reports on their state of welfare, and those reports are used to create care plans, individualized care plans if they're needed. Um, we meet with uh, veterinarians. Uh, we have three full-time veterinarians on staff um, that we meet with to kind of determine uh, what's an appropriate care plan for the chimpanzees. Wow, that sounds, see, that does sound like a dream job. I get to be around chimpanzees oh, yeah. and take behavior observations and welfare. Oh, that's incredible. And now are you open to the public under different tours or anything like that? Or is it closed to the public? Well, right now due to COVID, um, we don't have anyone from the outside coming on. Um, so and the real unfortunate part of that is we don't even have our volunteers on site right now. And, and uh, volunteers uh, represent a big help to us. Sure. Um, so it's, it's just, the only people on site are the people involved in the direct care. And so uh, right now we don't. However, in pre-COVID times and in hopefully soon post-COVID times, we do what we call member days. And those are days where we are open to the public and we get tours and uh, people come and learn about the sanctuary, learn about what we do. Uh, we also do some fun things like we do um, a chimpathon, uh, which is actually a, uh, I guess it's not considered a marathon, like a 6K um, That's Yeah, that's more, that's more my style. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It, um, and so uh, that goes through the sanctuary and um, cool. you know, obviously we're open to the public then. And we do do private tours here and there, uh, but for the most part, you know, we're we're closed to the public. And um, you know, kind of the, the big philosophical reason for that is that our mission is uh, is to provide care. And um, and but you know, at the same time, if we could uh, help to uh, educate people about uh, care, welfare, and preservation of chimpanzees, that's that's a great thing to it. Well, yes. And and you touched on a little bit with uh, COVID-19, how it's obviously impacted your volunteer staff, which I'm sorry to hear that because I know that there's so many uh, animal care facilities that are are struggling with that because volunteers make make up such a a huge part of their organization. Uh, And then you're not open to the public, but are there other ways that COVID-19 has impacted your organization or how are you you dealing with that? Yeah. So, one of the things that it, it gets, is done is that um, we've increased massively the kind of um, PPE, personal protective equipment that we use. Um, we've added face shields and things like that. Um, in addition to masks, we've upgraded the masks we used to use, just kind of the earlobe masks. Now we use the N95 masks. Wow. And we've always had a... Um, a distance protocol where um, you know staff can't get close uh, closer than a certain distance to the chimpanzees, 
So luckily, we, we've always had that in place just because um, we're, we're always mindful of the, the risk of uh, any sort of zoonosis or disease of transfer course. between humans yeah. and chimps, which, um, which chimps are, are so similar to humans that that's, that's a huge consideration always to take. But, um, you know, we, we really have to be extremely careful because while there hasn't been anything documented on chimpanzees uh, contracting COVID uh, from humans, that doesn't mean that it can't happen. And uh, our population um, is, is old. We have a, a, a mostly geriatric population of, of chimpanzees. And also many of our chimpanzees have pre-existing conditions. Most captive chimpanzees have um, have heart conditions, and that's something that people are are exploring uh, and studying. But in addition to that, uh, we have chimpanzees with um, with liver and kidney and and um, issues that um, you know obviously would be real susceptible to COVID. So we are doing everything we can to make sure that COVID doesn't get into our chimpanzee population. Well, yes, Dr. Halloran, hopefully, as you mentioned there, this post-COVID time will be coming soon. Uh, that's, that's for sure, especially for, for, for the humans and, the, and, of course, a lot of the animals under human care. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been an interesting season, that's for sure. And so for people listening to this podcast, what are some of the best ways that they can either actively uh, get involved with your organization or in these COVID times, more passively, like either through memberships or donations. Uh, I, I know you guys have an adoption wish list. Could you maybe talk about how people could get involved with Save the Chimps? Yeah, I think it's um, it's important to know that um, we're the largest privately funded chimpanzee sanctuary. Everything we do comes from private donations. And so, with you know, we have very dedicated supporters that keep us running, but it's massively, massively important to uh, to donate to places like Save the Chimps. So if, um, if you're interested in helping that out, um, going to the website, and yeah, as, as you said, there's, um, there's ways to adopt a chimpanzee, provide for their care, uh, and there's all sorts of other ways that, that you can support us. So I, I encourage everyone to go to um, savethechimps.com. And, dot org. Um, dot org. Thank you. Okay. To, to everyone to go to save the chimps. Try again. You should, I should know that. It's all uh, good. That everyone should uh, go to savethechimps.org and, um, and, um, and participate in a way that you can in, uh, in helping these chimpanzees. Yeah, and I was looking around your website. It's beautiful. Uh, and your social media. I follow you guys on all the different platforms. So I highly recommend uh, everybody listening to do that. Go to savethechimps.org. And then also uh, social media, just search Save the Chimps and they'll pop right up. But your website's beautiful. It's very well done and very informative. And I've noticed, too, there's also, of course, there's, Financial donations are probably obviously the best, but there's also like wish list items as far as blankets go and things like that, where maybe even if you don't have a lot of money to give because you're a student or you're experiencing hardships due to uh, COVID, there's still ways that you could give items and things like that that would be very, very much appreciated by uh, the several chimpanzees because anybody that's familiar 
that spent any time at an accredited zoo watching great apes. Uh, they love a lot of household items that, that you and I would enjoy or your children would enjoy. And so it might as, as you're cleaning out your closets or houses uh, during these when we're all stuck at home, uh, check out the website. See if there's uh, see if a hand me down can go can go your way uh, towards save the chimps, and you'll definitely make a lot of people happy. That's for sure. And then, and just I think too by following Save the Chimps on social media, you can stay abreast to when they do start doing the chimpathon. I know I'm going to keep an eye on that. That sounds like a great way for me to get involved. As I, I I'm not a runner. I'm more of a, I'm more of like a trotter or a jogger. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day, but things like that, where I can actually do something I enjoy doing, but help helping animals while I'm doing it. And uh, of course, getting, getting to see your amazing facility there. And so now Dr. Halloran, I do have a really important final question. You've had an amazing career thus far, uh, as far as working with primates and studying them writing books, which of course we'll put all that information on our show notes and on our website, uh, so people can learn more about Save the Chimps and, of course, about the books that you've authored and, of course, about the book that you authored. But with your successful career, what advice do you have for students or people that are listening that would like to get involved with grade eight conservation? Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing is, is to see, is to, to educate yourself on what the conservation and welfare issues are right now. Uh, because sometimes it's it's things that that you might not even really be be thinking of. So um, just uh, keeping apprised of what's going on, um, I would join professional societies as a way to do that. Um, joining societies like um, American Society of Primatology or International Primate Society uh, is a good way to see what's going on in, in the world of chimpanzees, um, and great apes, something that, you know, it, things that dig a little bit deeper than, than maybe, um, uh, popularly available, um, magazines and news sources and, uh, get all angles, um, of, of what's going on. And, um, I would also recommend that if you're interested in going into grade eight conservation or grade eight welfare, that um, you take classes or, or even major in things like uh, maybe anthropology or wildlife biology, you know, fields that, that lend itself to learning about the process and learning about um, how you actually go about conservation and really keep updated on, um, you know, what the different conservation sites are doing and, um, you know, going to, to reputable places to find out about that. If you're involved in, um, in the zoo world, AZA SAFE is a great way to keep updated on, um, on, on good things that are going on in terms of conservation across species. So I would look at all of those things. I would also do a field course. That's, uh, and that's always the recommendation I give all students if you are interested in animals, even if you're just interested in captive welfare, um, seeing animals in the wild is really, really important uh, just to understanding them. Um, so finding a field course somewhere, somehow of whatever species is, uh, is really important. 
Yes, I agree. Even even locally, uh, as far as getting involved with nature groups, doing nature hikes, uh, you're, it's really amazing in this day and age with technology. There's uh, there's a, a a group on Facebook that you can join as far as whether you want to do citizen science and count frogs or really anything. You don't necessarily have to travel to Africa, although that's also fun too. <laughs> Highly recommend it if you can swing it, especially when you're younger, you don't have as many responsibilities. But and but even just yeah, either going to your local accredited zoo and watching be, watching the animal behavior there, or in your own backyard, you don't have to travel to these far off places. And then, of course, with social media and just the internet, I mean, I learned so much on uh, several YouTube videos about people that are passionate that are actually able to go into the wild and things like that. So. No, it's it definitely getting involved, I think, is key in exploring uh, exploring nature and just following your dreams and, and knowing that, yes, if we save chimpanzees, we can save ourselves. So it's a great it's a great humanitarian cause. And then, of course, you get to look at animals all day, which is pretty awesome, <laughs> if you ask me. Well, Dr. Halloran, it's been a real, real pleasure talking with you today. And I have, I just have to ask uh, one last small question. By any chance, are you hiring? <laughs> right now, we're not. Uh, we're well, yeah. Um, but always check our website, or um, if you go to the AZA Jobs Board, we always post there when we are. And uh, it's, um, you know, the uh, it's it's a pretty great place to work. I, and that, because I mean, of I'm, that, a lot I'm of people asking for the audience. Yes. I'm asking for myself. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, yeah, I, we're all know, of us. Yes, yes. I, I would, you know, check keep checking the AZA jobs board because when we do have openings, that's where we uh, that's where we post them. Awesome. Well, you have been so wonderful and informative to talk to. Um, I've really enjoyed this interview, and I I cannot wait for myself and some of our listeners when Save the Chimps is open again for a little bit more public involvement uh, for us to head that way. And your facility just sounds incredible, and your mission is just heroic. So thank you to you and your staff and your team for all you do to help these chimpanzees live out their life in a safe in a safe and well-cared-for uh, place. So thank you for your time, and I will definitely be in touch with you for sure. So take care. Uh, thank, you so, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you.